Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am your host, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He is... Currently obsessed with the Interrobang. It's Drew. How you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, go to Patreon for, for that content, guys. It's very interesting. I, very interesting. He's holding himself back from just explaining it all right here. I'm really trying to leave the mystery there out in the middle of your thoughts and, and dreams. And uh, Patreon.com slash Clashing Sabers, Sabers, Sabers. <laughs> how, how are you doing, Brandon? I am, I am alive. Um, I'm surviving. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's that point of the year where uh, testing's coming up and everybody's losing their mind and stressing out. And I'm... Uh, trying not to mm. it's, okay. it's not doing too bad um how long before the end of the school year for you uh actually like 26 days wow okay. nope actually today was 20 so 25 days but nobody's counting we're not paying attention <laughs> nice well it seems a little quiet in here i think it's just you and me tonight isn't it it is we're going old school man like all the way back to the beginning of clashing sabers when we started this thing and it was you and me and, and it was terrible, and it no was one could ever go back. So bad. <laughs> That's not true. We had some fun ones there at the time. We had good stuff, but like I've, I went back and listened to our uh, first Claudia Gray interview before the one we really? just had, and I made it through five minutes. It was like <laughs> we were fine. The podcasters were fine. The technology was embarrassing. Like, yeah, there's that. It was very clear that nobody from Lucasfilm ever listened to that episode because they let us have other interviews. We love you guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> like, feel yeah. free to ignore everything up to a certain date. And even then, just, just don't worry about it. Just yeah. saying yes. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just trust us. We're, we're yeah, trustworthy, according to us. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, it... Uh, it's a it's a good time, you know. We we got a little trickle of Star Wars content coming out. I am oh boy, twenty ish pages from finishing Victory's Price. Uh, <gasps> what? You're that close to the end and you haven't finished it? I am gonna be honest. It it. I mean, I really like the story. I was mentioning this to Zach. The way that Alexander Freed writes is always really challenging for me to get through because I don't really know how to explain it, but just he, he writes very densely. Like the way he oh. writes is very heavy and it's not a bad thing. I enjoy his book. Yeah. The, on, the only one I didn't like was Battlefront 2 or not Battlefront 2, I'm sorry, ba the original Battlefront um, yeah. is my least favorite canon book, but it's still written really well. Um Rogue One is one of my favorite novelizations. I think it's fantastic. Mm. And even though I don't rank Alphabet Squadron anywhere near uh, where you do, 
because I'm just not a big starfighter guy and that side of it's not really my jam. The story that he's telling is is solid and stuff. And uh, but it always just takes me a lot longer to get through than like a a Claudia Gray or uh, even like Charles Sewell. They just mm-hmm. have a little. It's a little more airy kind of writing. It's a little easier prose, whereas uh, you know, free yeah. kind. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of like Matthew Stover and the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Like you can't just casually read that. You have to actually pay attention to what they're saying. Whereas, you know, with some other authors, it's not a knock on anybody. It's not saying one's better than the other. It's just different writing styles. But, you know, some other authors you can kind of like read while zoning out and zoning back in or whatever. <laughs> There, that's just the, just the kind of encouragement the authors want to hear is like your book is pr- is good enough where I can read and not have to pay attention to what I'm actually. No, you know what I'm saying. Like you can kind of lose like, focus a little bit. Whereas if well, there are ways you can read some of them where you, you learn to anticipate what they're actually talking about. And right, so your your brain can move through things faster. But Freed's work, I don't think, allows for that. I okay, I haven't had the chance to really have this out with anybody yet, and I'm not saying we have to have it out, but. Alphabet Squadron, those three, the, th- the, the books of the trilogy are, is, pr- is the best complete series that's been released. See. Like, since the Disney takeover. Like, those three, to- and, and I'll tell you, the first one was okay. It's not my favorite. The second one has such good parts to it. There's a weird thing that happens in Act 3 that I'm, I'm not still convinced it actually fits. But op- outside of that particular concern, the rest of that book is phenomenal. And Victory's Price is one of the most interesting books I've read in the star in, in all of the Star Wars books that I've ever read. It's it's it, you you guys keep referring to it as like or not you guys, but like people on the internets continue to refer to it as like it, it continues the X-Wing series tradition. And I would disagree with that. This book is not about starfighters. This book is not about space combat at all. It's about the people. It's about the pilots and the way in which they are affected by the events they have to participate in. The other X-Wing books, like the Michael Stackpole and uh, Aaron Alston books, man, I almost tripped over that one. They were much more about the story and, and the sequence of events that flowed and creates the history of the timeline within universe. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But Alexander Freed is doing something different with his books and he wants to tell you something he wants these books to be about something and that is a quality that most of these books in the new canon do not have they are not about something like the second one shadow fall maybe yeah. i think is what it's called it's all about the way in which the characters want to be a certain way emotionally and personality wise and they have to project it and then live into it. Like they want to be perceived in a certain way, they want to live a certain way, but their heart's not in it. It's not who they are. So they're trying to change the way that they actually live their lives to conform with the image they want to have about themselves. Like that is a fascinating issue of identity that strikes the very heart of a lot of issues people have today is where we want to live one way 
and then we have to force our life down this highway to get to that point. And if you don't believe me, then look at Facebook and look at Instagram because that's exactly what those things enable is this second life by in which you can create an entirely different persona. And Alexander Freed is taking that concept and applying it to, to, <laughs> to the same thing that gives us space wizards and, and teenagers riding giant ticks through green fields. Like, it's amazing how he's taking these interesting concepts and putting them into a world we don't expect them to be in because we've simply not been trained to expect them. You and I have a good history of, like, digging through these films and books and TV shows and trying to find, like, those nuggets of humanity and identity and truth in there. And it's kind of what we've built this whole label upon is finding the deeper truths and messages inside these things. But it still takes a lot of digging. Alphabet Squadron makes it the main focal point of the writing. Like, those books are about this thing. They are about identity. And, and all of hu human art, if is about one thing, if there's one common theme all art has, it's about identity. It's about who are we as individuals? Who is the creator of the artistic piece? Who are the observers? What do they have in common? It's all about identity. And that's why the Alphabet book, Squadron books are the best books that we've gotten since the Disney takeover. Like, hands down. Somebody wanted to come at me with the Aftermath trilogy, and I will never forgive that person. No, Aftermath, like you mentioned on Twitter, uh, you know, Alphabet Squadrons, the, you, you said the best uh, series of the new canon. Mm -hmm. And when you stack it up against its competition, which is basically just Thrawn and Aftermath, uh, we don't really have any... It's not really a, a question. Now, yeah. The reason but, I said it that way, it, we High Republic hasn't finished. We've gotten basically chapter one out of a multi, you know, a, yeah. uh, we don't even know how long. This is going to last years, so we don't have enough information to determine how good that is. I'm really enjoying High Republic, and it's got me this close. I mean, this close to buying a comic book for the first time in like five years. Like, there's an omnibus coming out, I think, in June of the first, like, six or eight issues of the High Republic series. Not the High... And there's, like, four different comic lines, too. Like, there's High Republic, High Republic Adventures, and then, like, something else. I, it's very complicated. So I'm, I'm hoping to get... But, but it's interesting enough where I'm probably going to have to buy the omnibus when it comes out. Or the... Not omnibus... I'm using the wrong phrase. The the volume. You know, like the you'll you'll do what paperback? I do. Yeah. The trade paperback, yeah. Because, I mean, it, evidently that's the only place I'm going to get my Avar Chris fix at. It's like, because she's evidently in these ones and I need more of that character. She's phenomenal. Well, and I think High Republic does kind of delve into or is going to kind of delve into identity stuff it did with Into the Dark and... Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, not, I keep thinking Crash of Fate, but that's not it. What's the other one? The young reader novel that Justina Ireland... Test, Test of, of Courage. Courage, which is excellent. Um, touches on those ideas. You know, obviously it's not as adult as uh, the Alphabet Squadron books. My thing with <laughs> Alphabet Squadron is... It's adult. Well, the, the 50, long, 50, 50 to 60 page long, you know, Starfighter battles are a real challenge for me to get through because I can just I can't track what's going on there. When we get the more intimate character moments or when I think that it's at its best. And so I think to an extent it kind of gets hindered by being about starfighters, uh, because you have to have space battles 
in there and they have to be a good portion. Like that's just the nature of writing a, you know, space combat centric book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I understand your, I understand that as an issue because it's very hard to get some kind of relational understanding of what's going on in a inky black void, you know, in three dimensions in, in an indeterminate amount of space. Like, and I think it's interesting because he addresses some of that in the books where at a certain point, the all the pilots, both for the the Alliance and the Empire or the Remnant, like lose access to their electronical controls, and they have to gauge things visually and manually. And so, you, you sit in the seat with them, and the guy's like eyeballing it, going, "I don't even remember what three hundred kilometers looks like. Like, how am I supposed to tell?" And so, again, it's about the human issue, like the the the. the 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 dance and the choreography of ships chasing ships is so so secondary it's it's even tertiary it's not important to the story what's important is the characters and what they are doing and saying and thinking and and there's you might think that there's a connection between what they're thinking and saying and doing and the actual events that are occurring within the space combat like that but i if you can, if you separate those two in your brain and you say okay my characters are on this side and the actual combat is happening over here I can care less about the combat for the moment because when I focus on the people, I don't miss anything. I track things as I track Will Lark, who I've come 180 degrees on. Like, the first book, I wanted to dropkick that child across the galaxy. What a, what a character. It was not interesting at all. But by the time the third book wraps up, and if you're, what, 20 pages from the ending? Like... Oh my gosh! The things yeah. that this character has become, oh, and the impact that he had—you know, like he—he's one character that changes and um, develops, and that's one of my issues going into the books is that these characters don't really change; they end the same way that they started. Are you ready to pick up back up then? Go. I mean, he definitely did, but I think the other characters changed in in different ways. I mean, boy, I don't even know if I have my notes for these books anymore because because nobody wanted to talk to me about it, really. Well, let that get you on for "Don't Burn the Sacred Text" because I can kind of guess where Lindsay stands on the book. Just oh, really, well, just based on the fact that we haven't really talked about it. <laughs> Like, That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Because we... we I don't think I'm there's gonna, any doubt that I am probably the biggest fan oh, of these books out of for the sure. by football field lengths. For sure. But like when... Uh, I hate to say it, but like when Thrawn books come out, because we're both not big fans of it, we, you know, we'll kind of complain to each other when things start happening that are the same things that happen in other books. And when uh, we get things to the level of like Master and Apprentice, uh, Lost Stars, and uh, even Light of the Jedi, they'll be like, what page are you on? Because I don't want to ruin anything. (laughs) Um, And like, oh my God, put this on the docket for the show or whatever. So when something's not getting talked about... That's uh, usually a good indicator, huh? Yeah, well, it's not even that it's bad. The bad stuff we talk about because we're like, is this just me? Um, but the kind of lukewarm stuff, we kind of just, I got you. It doesn't you know, generate a reaction. Yeah. God, yeah, man. really. 
so bad for you guys. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, but that's the thing, you know, that I say all the time about the new canon that I really like that I think, you know, by continuing the story afterwards and keeping the same characters around, I think the EU kind of hurt itself in not being able to do that many different kinds of stories, you know, like yeah. the EU yeah. and, and there's a lot to love there. And I, there's some books in there that are, you know, the exception, but more or less they're action books where you have the first act where you set the scene, the second act, it falls apart. The third act is, you know, a hundred pages yeah. of fighting so that people can have really cool powers. Like you, you're not it, wrong. You're not it, wrong. When I start to read like a bunch, I will, I'll get fa- star Wars fatigue from, the, from the EU books. If I read too many in a row, like I'll have, I have to have something else to kind of, you know, go in between. And that's not a knock at it because there's a, like I said, there's a lot that I like, like the Bane trilogy does that and it does it really, really well. Um, mm, but with, when you have the, you know, the new canon, they're doing so many different kinds of books. And they're doing books that you, you know, like Alphabet Squadron, you would expect it to be about one thing when it's really about another um, right. kind of thing. And they're confronting these different ideas and stuff. And so you can have a, you know, an action book like Alphabet Squadron and stuff that's really centered around identity. And you can have... Uh, you know, Master and Apprentice, which is really philosophical. And you can have, you know, uh, even the writing styles are really, really different, you know, whereas a lot of the writing styles for the EU are pretty basic, generic, you know, sci-fi book writing. Again, Mm. not necessarily bad. You have your exceptions and you have certain people that do it really really well and certain people that do it not as well you know yeah, they like, really did they did nail down like a, a good stable of authors that at, at a certain point you only had like five to nine names that were really churning everything out over the yeah years. and some of those like you could really get behind and, and like christy golden is responsible for oh, a lot she, of the best books she's amazing that. inferno it's squad really good there you go but like um, we do have uh, speaking of uh, now Alphabet Squadron right now is my is my favorite trilogy of books, although I'll tell you, E.K. Johnston has one more Padme book coming out like in a month or two. And there's a chance there's a chance on how much just because I like Queen's Shadow so much, there's a chance this one could challenge it. For, yeah, for that that top that top shelf trilogy section that's going to go right up top. Queen's Peril again. I know we've talked about it. It, it, it kind of it wasn't my jam by the end of the book, but man, I'm gonna go back and reread Queen Shadow as soon as, as soon as I finish the other four books on my nightstand right now. That's probably gonna be a one I go back and reread. I feel like you should like read Queen Shadow and at least read the the part of Queen's Peril that leads up to Episode One, or yeah, Episode One. Yeah, Episode One. Yeah, it's like the first two thirds of that book are independent of the film. As yeah. soon as it hitches its wagon to the back of that film, it's like, okay, I'm good. I I'll see you guys tomorrow. So we'll have to see what Queen's Hope is like because that I think is going to be uh, a pretty interesting playground for her to go run for a while. Yeah, it'll be interesting too to see, you know, how stuff from Clone Wars comes into play too because E.K. Johnston is a big Clone Wars fan and has pulled a lot of that stuff in already. And yep. now you're talking, you know, literally during the Clone War. Exactly. And so, you know, when is it happening? That's a the question in terms of like the Clone Wars TV show timeline, you know, um, 
how is Ahsoka going to come into play? How is uh, not Ransom Costerfo? What's the the banking clan guy's name? Clovis. Clovis, thank you. Uh, how does Clovis come into play? Because he's he made appearances. Yeah, year, yeah, right? he's made appearances um, before. You know, is this pre or post the loss of uh, Nina Monteri? Like, there's so many things she's already set up that could come back to be really, really interesting. And uh, I always love anything that's going to make Revenge of the Sith even more tragic because <laughs> I'm here for the pain. <laughs> So well, since we seem to be in the middle of our our, our Star Wars introductions, anyway, like I wanted to ask you something because in the past couple weeks, it hasn't been terribly long since Disney put out a lot of the old animated series onto their Disney Plus service. Um, they put Ewoks and uh, the the Clone Wars micro series on there. Have you spent any time with those since they put them on there? The only thing I've watched, and it's purely for lack of of trying and uh, trying to get finished with Alphabet Squadron so we can eventually put an episode out, is... You have 20 pages. You can finish that tonight. Oh, I I mean, I'm I'm planning on finishing it tonight, but I've had the book for for way too long. Um, (laughs) And it's totally on me. But... The nine-minute or so uh, Boba Fett holiday special cartoon is the only thing that I've watched. Oh, my goodness. Of all the things to pick. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's it, it, that's revealing. That's it interesting. It was rough. <laughs> Honestly, the only thing it reveals is that I just had like 10 minutes to watch something before we were leaving. But I mean, and that's the, that's the way you decide to stab yourself in the eyeballs. Interesting. Okay. That's an understatement. Like It's rough, isn't it? it was brutal at at first i was like you know like okay i can see how people would be intrigued by boba fett and how people would cling to that because everything else is so bad um c-3po having you know opposable fingers was a little unsettling uh everything else doesn't they don't they fly a y-wing at some point too luke flies a y-wing and he like uh ejects the front part from the back part and they go to a uh what looks like maybe a watermelon jelly kind of planet um (laughs) some people were on some things when that was made i just 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 my, my point to this and there's there's evidently there's a rumor that the uh the quickly canceled detours show is rumored to show be showing up on Disney plus in the coming weeks as well. And I wanted to ask your opinion. What do you think this is adding to the, the catalog of content that we have? Like, do you think there's actual value in these things being available uh, uh, at a moment's command or do you fall down more for fall more in the camp of this is something we just don't need to have anymore. And it's probably better if it stays locked in a box on a shelf and we burn the building down. Well, I'm kind of at this like third point where I'm really intrigued because I haven't seen any of it before. And so like I've always wanted to watch it and 
just haven't taken the time to seek it out because they're out there. Like you can find stuff and, you know, um, YouTube and, and YouTube things like an that. Amazing treasure trove of garbage. That's yeah. Yeah, for sure. So was but, the Boba Fett sequence the only bit of the holiday special that you've ever seen? Yeah. Uh, really? except for, except for, you know, like a clip here, there in a documentary or anything like that. So it's like, I, I'm going to watch them and I want to watch them, but I'm also apprehensive to watch them because it's going to take them from this thing that I'm like, ooh, here's this piece of Star Wars history that's so mysterious to here's this piece of Star Wars history that I know about. Um, and it's not a good or bad thing. It's just a really different thing. And so there's... Well, no, 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 no. Some of the content's going to be bad. I'm saying the the loss of the mystery is not necessarily bad in and of itself. Okay. Um, like for example, you know the the Ewoks cartoons. Like Ugh. I I I feel like I'm going to be like okay. You know, it, a good example is really is the the micro series. Um, you and I did an episode on that, and I had never seen it before. I was and coming around to that, yeah, yeah, watching that. Post, you know, becoming obsessed with Clone Wars, the the 2008 3D series, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't bad, but I don't think I got as excited about it as people who had experienced it before mm. 2008, and people who still talk about it, you know, with that reverence of, this was the thing, and yeah. so... It really is of an era, and like the way yeah. that you... With- you could only consume it like the first season of that. For those of you who may not terribly be, be terribly familiar with it, the first season of that micro series, each episode was three minutes long and it came on like Friday night at seven 30 on Cartoon Network or something like that. So it was right in the middle of the evening there. And if you missed it, you blinked and it was gone. I think the second season, they made them longer, maybe seven to 10 minutes, but they were not much. But it was the only thing we had leading up to Revenge of the Sith. It was quite amazing. So it definitely you can definitely tell it's not made for this world of instant access to everything because you can blast through the entire show in like what an hour and a half, maybe. Uh, I think they it's not the that long. End runtime is like two two hours and twenty minutes. So basically, the length of a, a full feature f- film. Yeah. So if you've got time for a movie then you've got time for the entire micro series, which was aired over the course of like six months, I think. So definitely it's not something we can equally compare to, you know, season seven of the clone wars, which was just, well, it's, it's, it's similar, but not the same because you didn't have the ability to watch everything at a time. You didn't have the instant communication between people across the country and the world who wanted to talk about the same thing. Like, I remember when the micro series came out, I was the only person I knew who watched it and that was it. <laughs> so it was fun for me, but it was just, it's kind of a, a landmark of a bygone era that you just don't have access to. And so if that's something that was maybe not even 20 years ago, how much more than the Ewok show, the droids series, you know, the holiday special, which was 1978. Like these things are such relics of their time. There, but see, there comes a point. There, there comes a point, I guess, where it be, it goes from watching something that you haven't seen before, watching something that you missed. Like I missed, you know, the well, 
I shouldn't say I missed. I refused to watch the Clone Wars uh, when it first came out because Star Wars wasn't supposed to be animated. Haha, <laughs> irony. Um, <laughs> but well played, sir. Well played. But uh, the Ewok movies and the droids and Ewok shows and stuff are, you know, they were before my time. So it's almost like watching a piece of history uh, versus you know, catching up on a show that you missed that nobody's talking about anymore, right? That's why, I, like, I'm I'm pretty sure, like, I would like Game of Thrones, but I've missed the conversation. So what's the point, you know? And that's kind of, because that's kind of part of how I consume, you know, geek media these days is like, you know, Adriana did something really interesting in not watching Siege of Mandalore until it was completely over. And I think that was a great idea to watch all of them together. But I needed to be able to talk with people about it, you know, after it happened and know about the conversation. And even now, like with the Marvel shows, I'm not watching them like first thing, like in the mornings, like I did with Mando and stuff, because, uh, you know, I just kind of have to wait till I have the time to do it. So I might be a little bit behind. So, but... There's... You're all, you're also the person who won't watch the trailers for the movies either, right? Like, and so like three to six months beforehand, we're all sitting here geeking out over like, oh, what does this down star destroyer in the desert mean? And you know, who's this? You know, can you see pod racers in the back of the desert scene when BB-8 is rolling by? And you're just like, I don't know what we're talking about, guys. It's so a weird. I... It's a weird comfort zone that I have. You no, know, that's okay. Where I. And, and... And the, the the thing we should keep in mind is that good art and good content will sus- will survive that test of time. Like that's why we go back and watch The Wizard of Oz. You know, it's still mm. on TV every single Thanksgiving because it's that good. And that's why we revisit older movies, the ones that we do, of course. I'm sure there's plenty that we don't. You know, we've lost more movies and things to time than we have, honestly. So the, the ones that we have should, in theory be some of the best or at least the ones with something still there that we can you know dig into and really get something out of it's why you know film students still watch metropolis after a hundred years you know we're still going back to that one film and saying this is what science fiction you know films come from this is their origin story well and you can also kind of you can watch older movies a little bit differently you know like the Batman series, like not okay. the. Not Hang on, when you say older movies and Batman, no, movies, well, let's define some of our terms, can we? The 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 nineties Batman stuff, like uh, okay. it's still not an old movie, but I understand what your point is. It's I said older. That's a comparative, yeah. not a superlative. Yeah. Okay, um, I love those movies. Because they're campy and nostalgic. And I like, like, even uh, the, you know, Chris Evans' Fantastic Four stuff. Like, it's not great, but, like, it's campy and cheesy comic book stuff of the time. And so with with the retrospective of history and how things have evolved, you can watch it a little bit differently. Okay, but hang on. How How many times have you watched that Fantastic Four movie? Like once, <laughs> but, but it was, I mean, it was just a couple years ago. Like I didn't watch it when it came out. Mm-hmm. So sure. go on. 
No, just so the conversation of always hearing how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is. And I'm like, it's not the best, but I had already watched the newest, the absolute dumpster fire Fantastic Four that Josh Trank made. So I like looked oh, at it and I'm like, I forgot of that one. It's, it's not Spider-Man, but it's, you know, it's in the same kind of cheesy, you know, early 2000s campy comic book movie stuff that was coming out. And in that vein, it's not bad. But I also say that knowing like the MCU is coming. So this isn't all we're going to get. Whereas, you know, when you watch it back then, it's like, this is all you're going to get. So I think I'll be able to, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of confidence that people were going to learn from a lot of those mistakes. Right. That things were, you know, we all looked at Spider-Man two as possibly the best of the, uh, comic book movies. Like, of all time is, is, is I think still Spider-Man 2 is still constantly ranked up there at the top of that boy that Fantastic Four movie for those of you playing along at home came out in 2005 which is about th- what three years after Spider-Man 2 hey I watched your favorite movie uh, just the other day speaking of movies that came out in this era um, I watched the the first Fast and Furious movie <laughs> oh man and See, they, they so just good. don't make them like that anymore. That's they don't. For sure. No, they don't. It's it was, so different uh, from all the other ones. It really is. And you know what? It's still kind of fun. It's goofy as all get out. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. That's it's as good of Vin Diesel as I can do, by the way. <laughs> it's no uh, too fast, too furious. That, talk- you know what? I, I, I seriously considered starting that one. Don't. And I remember... <laughs> I, I, it's it's pretty ridiculous. I'm gonna probably just skip straight to Tokyo. Uh, what's it called? Tokyo Drift. That's the one. Yep, yep, yep. Which is not. I mean, is not as bad as people say it is. I will Boy, say I tell that. You, I I don't know what to tell you about those movies. They get more and more ridiculous. The reason I, I watched it again, this has nothing to do with Star Wars, but I, I read an article that said movie theaters uh, are counting on. Uh, Fast 9 or F9 or whatever they're calling the ninth entry into that saga as the last saving grace for movie theaters. Like That movie has to do gangbusters and that will allow theaters to, to uh, come back from this whole pandemic thing. Not have, being able to be open for 13 months now, most of them. They need F9 or whatever it's called to really do well. So a lot of theaters are, are hanging their hats on that film. So I guess all of us are supposed to buy tickets to that one. I don't really know. I haven't been keeping up with them. Are they in space yet? I'm sure they're in space. Mm, I don't watch the trailer, so I don't know. Good point. Well, anyway, we should probably move on, don't you think? We're I mean, I guess. Fast and Furious. We should do a Fast and Furious commentary, though, shouldn't we? I. You say when. That's a, that's a great idea. Let's, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, keep an eye on your Patreon feed so that we uh, hold us accountable to that. Patreon.com slash Clashing Saber, 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 Saber. Money for a good cause and, I don't know, movie commentaries for your ears. I, I love Fast and Furious so much. See, now you got me all hyped up. Now I'm like ready to go, <laughs> hit the road. Granny shifting when you should be double clutching. Yep. Something like that. I don't know anything about cars either. So that's what really <laughs> makes it funny. Because I'm pretty sure neither did the screen re- screenplay writers. I don't think they really knew a lot about cars either. I'm not they, sure that's how a manifold breaks, by the way. <laughs> well, they do know that cars don't fly except for when they do. Okay. That sounds like it means something to a later film. Dude, really? 
Bro, I I've seen some of them, but they're. <laughs> I remember The Rock at one point saying, "Give me my vegetables," and I don't even remember the context of that line. <laughs> I just remember it being the most ridiculous thing I heard in a movie theater. Not the breaking his cast open by making a fist and saying, "Daddy's got to go to work." <laughs> Is that in one of them? That is in one of them, yes. No, it's not. You're making that up. I need you to watch these movies more regularly, okay? <sighs> because one of us does not watch them ironically. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking can, of... Can you please, cha- can you change your, your bio, your Twitter bio to I live my life a quarter mile at a time when this episode releases? I'm going to do it before so that people will be like really confused about why. And then they'll listen to this and be like, ah, it all makes sense now. Yes, because now everything makes sense. Shh, shh. Everything I do has a purpose. I don't always know what that purpose is. Yeah, sometimes that purpose is we make bad decisions. I mean, you know. YOLO. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what that means either. You're so old. <laughs> sometimes I just say that to watch people's reactions. Harder to do in an audio medium, so we really should be moving back into the Star Wars world. Well, speaking of the Star Wars world and things that are uh, a little over the top, we've got uh, the Bad Batch to talk about tonight. And the Bad Batch is uh, it's an interesting, interesting idea, interesting group of <laughs> characters that I think we have uh, two very different points of view on. Conceptually, it is an idea. Well, we'll get into it in just a minute. I've heard mixed things about these guys. They have a 100% success rate. It's not that they win, it's how they win that worries me. Repeat. Coming in hot on platform TT397. So why haven't I heard of this squad? Experimental Unit Clone Force 99. The defective clones with, uh, desirable mutations. 99, eh? Nice touch. They call themselves the Bad Batch. We are less than a month away from the 70-minute premiere of The Bad Batch, which is just wild to say. Um, so we wanted to delve into their arc in Clone Wars and look at what we learned, what themes and ideas we think might come up in the show, um, and things like that. Kind of look at the characters and um, maybe talk about like what we expect out of the show in terms not so much of the... you know action and stuff that's clearly going to be in there, but more so in terms of the themes and ideas that they're going to try to convey because these characters are more or less pretty stereotypical what you would expect from a group of characters called the Bad Batch that, you know, all have these special... When when you present each character, it's like, oh yeah, that's that one thing that that person does. You have the muscle, you have the tech guy, you have... Mm -hmm. So there's 
Star Wars is gonna do always flip something on its head and kind of present something from a different point of view and and defy expectations. So um, we're gonna dig into that a little bit. So with that in mind, I want to get your opinion. After you first completed the Bad Batch arc when season seven came out, what were your impressions? And have you watched it since then? And if so, how has your opinion changed? Hmm. Well, I I've tri- I rewatched them just this past week in kind of preparation for this conversation, and I don't know that it's really changed any of my initial reactions on that because it's been what maybe a year since they came out. I think, um, R- roughly speaking, yeah, because uh, yeah, Siege of Mandalore came out May the fourth uh, last year. Okay, and so these are the first four episodes of a 12, 12 uh, episode length release siege of mandalore is what nine through 12 so you know two months prior so yeah plus or minus a month they're about a year old and i think i fall down on the same point now as i did at that point it's like i'm i'm just kind of i'm kind of done with the clones personally um i i don't know that they really took the story for these these four guys or four or five four maybe four turns into five Four becomes five. So the four original members that were introduced, I think it, it it might just be because they struck me as archetypal at the very beginning, like the very introduction. You're like, oh, that guy's from the Predator, and that guy's from uh, the Expendables. Like you could kind of like look at them, and be like, okay, this one's modeled after Sylvester Stallone, and this one's modeled after that guy, and, and it, it looked like they had built a Dungeons and Dragons role playing team which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but kind of like what you had mentioned before is like everybody's got their slot that they fit into nicely. Um, and that's what they did for those four episodes. And honestly, I think that was just kind of enough. We have some interesting clone characters to begin with. Rex and Cody and some of the rest of the gang are very interesting characters because of the way in which they develop and they become different individuals. That's what makes kind of the climax of the Siege of Mandalore, where Rex and Ahsoka are kind of escaping from the the, the proto Star Destroyer, whose actual class name escapes me. Their relationship is interesting because we've built up time with them, but also because we've seen it develop over the time. We've kind of seen how, how Rex and the gang started at one particular level as the base level clone, and they evolved and grew and aged and individualized themselves. You know, Rex so far to the point where he was able to remove the chip that triggers Order 66. So he's not hunting down Ahsoka when all the rest of the starship is. That's an interesting way to tell a story, is by making them different. I don't know that the Bad Batch did a great job of making these four guys different different enough. Even though they are clearly different, I don't think they do it in as successful a way. And because when they slot them into the roles that they're supposed to fill, it takes away their opportunities to grow as individuals. Maybe that's a story that they can tell in the show itself, the, the, the series itself, when it comes out. And now they're starting from a base level of, all right, we know where these guys are. Can we take them in interesting directions? Because the four episodes that they have, I don't think is enough time to really do that. Now, having said that, I thought that the way they asked the question about Echo, who was rescued from the Watt Tambor's techno union, they rescue him from the Sephiroth-style 
Have you ever played Final Fantasy VII? That would be that would be a negative. I mean, I know what Final Fantasy is, but I haven't played any of them. Okay, well, okay. For the four people out there who remember the scene of Sephiroth pulling Genova out of the cylinder tank, that's a lot what that sequence reminded me of. Anyway, when they introduce the concept of whether or not he's been tainted and can can he be trusted, or is he actually a double agent, those seeds planted in the third episode of the series, which don't really go anywhere in the fourth episode, I don't think. That was an interesting opportunity because it's a way of taking what the characters understood and challenging that. Characters in these first four episodes aren't really challenged in any way that I, I can really put my finger on. The challenge in those episodes is how Anakin has to work with these group of guys to accomplish a goal. But as we see, it's not terribly difficult for him. He just he assumes his leadership role, which he already had, and he does the things he's known to do, which they actually make they call a point out where I think it's Echo actually says, showing off again, General. And he says, hey, you know me. Like, literally, they're not taking these characters in any different direction. They're just putting them in a slightly different circumstance. Well, we have a term for that. It's called a sitcom. That's all it is at this point. So it's, I don't know that these four episodes were designed to do much more than that. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, though. Like, if the purpose of these four episodes was to establish the characters in order to give them this show a, a year later... It's not a bad thing. You know, every story needs to establish their characters. Harry Potter series does that in the first book. Alphabet Squadron does that in its first book. You know, it's 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 a requirement. You have to establish the characters. Was this the most elegant and interesting way to do it, these first four episodes? It's not my favorite version of that particular thing. Anyway, what what about you? Where did you land when you first saw them, and how did that change over year? I'm sure you rewatched these five or six times in the past year. Well, the my initial reaction was, you know, that they were archetypes. They were pretty clearly there to, you know, be the, the other, uh, more or less, the clones who were outcast, uh, the clones that were a little bit rogue and were going to challenge uh, our perception of what clones were, you know, um, and... They didn't necessarily get into that too much. They got into the tension between, you know, them and the regs and whatnot like that. Um, but oddly enough, the the Bad Batch themselves are more side characters in the arc. Uh, that's mm. really about Rex and Echo. And True. it sets up, when you look at it in the arc of season seven, it sets up the idea that Rex, you know, has at the end of, you know, not giving up on his brothers and he's thinking he's going to have to kill them and Ahsoka's, you know, they may try to kill us, but we're not going to be the ones to kill them kind of thing that comes back at the end of Siege of Mandalore. So it sets up those ideas there of, um, you know, the cost of war and everything like that. But the the Bad Batch characters don't really do too much uh, in it other than help you know, Rex and Echo and uh, you know, uh, Anakin get from point A to point B. Uh, that's more or less their purpose and to do really cool stuff while doing it. <laughs> to, which was fine. Like, I I yeah, love... What do you think? Is that, is that a detriment? Or I don't that, think so. I is think... That, do you think, like... Um, is that par for the course for Clone Wars in general? Like, consider the rest mm. of the other seasons, like one through six or one through five, because I'm not really sure six counts for a whole lot much. It's kind of its own thing. Do you think 
that particular approach, as you just mentioned, where they are there to push a story, help the characters, and, and, and do cool stuff, do you think that's something that the rest of the seasons did as well? Or let me ask, in addition to, and do you think they did it as successfully? I would say no. I, I don't think they... I mean, you're going to have those characters, you know, in any storytelling format just because you can't go super in-depth with every single character. But Clone Wars did a good job of uh, taking the archetypes and adding a little bit of a depth and twist to them. So I think of, like, the lightsaber lost episode where Ahsoka uh, is paired up with the the older Jedi who keeps telling her to slow down and everything like that. And like it's predictable what he's the point he's making to her. And we've seen that kind of mentorship before, but um, they kind of put a little twist on it by making it, a, you know, an actual chase instead of just, you know, somebody getting frustrated and uh, Pong Krell, you know, you have the, oh, the good guy gone bad, but the, just blunt willingness to basically to murder these clones with well, no regard. Well, it's not murder because he doesn't consider them people. Well, yeah. See, and then the most fascinating four episodes that show. like it's so good. You, it could have been very archetypical of like the good guy gone bad. And, you know, he could have been working for the other side or whatever. But at the end of the day, like he, wasn't he was just terrible you know right. um so corrupt corruptive character yeah exactly so you know that's not really something they i think that they get into too much and even when you have characters like bo katan for example where she kind of starts off as more or less you know an archetype of of you know the female uh what's not vixen, but you know she's like the the Fem- warrior female, you know, kind of at, kind of Xena uh, warrior princess kind of thing, where she's strong and she's gonna kick your ass and stuff, but she's not gonna have a super lot of depth to her because they're gonna focus more on the the guy characters. But then they take that and they flip it by making her a really deep and interesting character by adding more episodes on later. Like, mm. if if you watch just the first episode that Bo-Katan's in, like, she's cool, and it's cool to see her and ah- Ahsoka fight and stuff like that, but there's not a lot of depth to her character there. But then when you bring in these other characters around her and challenge her perceptions of identity um, and, you know, her be- how how she's going to apply her beliefs... Uh, then it gets really interesting. And I think that's something that Bad Batch is setting up, is going to be those challengings of identity and belief and um, how we change over time and how we go from fitting in an archetype, uh, fitting into a stereotype, fitting into an expectation, to really figuring out who we are individually and what we believe in. You know, you, you set that up with Echo, who is transitioning from a reg to this bad batch guy and then is going to have to transition into a, a man on the run right and we've we have this clone omega that they're going to meet um who it looks a little different than other clones that we've seen so 
I think within the four arc Bad Batch itself in season seven of Clone Wars, yes, they are very archetypical. There's not much change or character development for them other than them learning how to get along with the regular clones. But I think very much like Ahsoka being, you know, whiny, um, Ezra being full of himself and braggadocious, like the beginning of the stories, you kind of always set up that archetype to set the expectation and then take it somewhere else. That's kind of, especially in the longer form, you know, and and animated side of Clone Wars, or excuse me, of Star Wars, that's what you get. You know, it always goes differently than you would think. Hmm. So... You're not wrong. I'm just wondering how many times can we use that same trick with the exact same like studio or kind of same approach? Like if we've we've done that in Clone Wars, we did that in Rebels, we've done it in the Clone Wars season seven. I mean, is this something that you think? Do you think there's anything like that in the Mandalorian at all? Because I'm wondering if now is that an approach? Is that something that is like a Dave Filoni move? Like to start out with a character one way, knowing you're going to take him somewhere, him or her somewhere else, uh, over the course of years. But do we have to start in a place where the character is already grating on our nerves, or do we think that's maybe just these particular animation series, and maybe it is not an indicator of things to come? Um, like, do you, would you have the expectation that any of the 87 series that are coming on Disney Plus over the next couple years? Do you think the same approach will be taken, A, at all, B, only in animation, C, for everything, D, none of the above? Like, What do you think? Uh, e, somewhere in between. Okay, well, that would be like the A, but whatever. <laughs> um, no, like, I think, again, like, target audience is, is something, so I do think... True. You know, when you get a show that's more targeted towards kids, you're going to get that uh, more clear, like... They're annoying in the beginning, and they mature as they go on. Um, but you, I mean, with Mandalorian, you start with your uh, very uh, idealized, stereotypical, what fans thought a Mandalorian bounty hunter was like at the beginning, and you turn him into, you know, a soft, cuddly dad. So you... Who, it, who can still murder people. Well, yes, nice. yes. But, like, you take... <laughs> it it's taken in a direction that you wouldn't expect. And that's what star Wars does is it takes these archetypes and it takes them in directions that follow the archetype, but also put a twist on it. You know, like you follow Luke, for example, and you get all the way to the end when the hero is supposed to do, you know, defeat the bad guy. And what does he do? He throws away his lightsaber. It basically sacrifices his life, you know, or even in empire strikes back, you know, when he, he, uh, gets his arm cut off and, you know, finds out, you know, that his, his uh, father is the most evil man he's ever met, you know, and stuff. Like, in other stories, the hero keeps fighting. Like, he's going to do some cool thing and, you know, drop a building on Vader or whatever. No, Luke jumps to his death. Like, he, he literally just jumps, yeah. you know. And so you, you have those setups and you, you have the setup of, uh, a nine-year-old little kid who is a slave who then turns around and basically enslaves the galaxy, uh, more or less. You know, it, it puts a twist on your expectations. 
And so I think that's what we're going to get here in Bad Batch in particular. But when we think about shows like uh, Kenobi and Andor and even like Ahsoka, uh, we have characters already established, so we don't need to start from there. And then you go to like Rangers of the New Republic and... I, there's acolyte. There's, there's yeah, like a lot of these stories, I I don't think makes sense to start with like a whiny or a like kid kind of thing. Um, but in terms of like having just like an archetype, I think it would make sense for them to do that to establish your expectations around the character to then take you in a different direction. Hmm. Okay. So I. I think you might you're definitely onto something with like the established character versus something new and also intended audience. That's definitely something we need to keep in mind that you and I are probably not exactly who they had in mind when they were drafting. We're certainly not in, in first place um, in the target demo. So what on a on a scale of one to ten then, like where is your hypo hypometer for the actual Bad Batch show? Like, are you going to be waking? Are you going to be staying up until twelve oh one a.m. For that first 70 minute, God, that's going to be so long. Are you going to watch that thing like as soon as it drops? Or is this going to be part of your, I'm going to let the episodes build up for a bit and then sit down and watch them? I'm going to watch it right when it comes out. Um, I don't know if I'll necessarily watch it like first thing in the morning like I did with Mando or wait till till after. Uh but certainly the day of release, right? Day of release for sure. Okay. I would say I'm like maybe a six or seven. Uh, the idea, and, and again, I haven't watched the trailer. So what I'm going off of you is... Have seen the trailer for it yet? No, I'm not. I don't watch the trailers. Oh my gosh. Um, so These the, weird rules. I know. <laughs> They make sense to me, and that's all that matters. It truly is all that matters. I have no idea where that line is. At least I'm having trouble keeping up. But then again, as you have said, I am old and feeble and, and mentally just not paying attention. But I... So, like, the concept of the show, I'm kind of like, okay, that's fine. But also, you think about when they announced it, and they announced the show, like pretty much right after the the Bad Batch arc. And so that means they've been working on this for two to three years. Uh, you know, you would hope man. when you, I mean, when you go from storyboards and previs and everything like that, like that, I know Dave Filoni has said that they're at least a year ahead because, you True. know, things that happen in, in season two of Rebels, people were like, oh, you know, and He's like, we can't change. We're not going to change the story, not just because we're not, you know, just going to change because people don't like something, but also because we're already like on the next season, you know, by the time people are seeing this stuff. So they're, you know, a couple years ahead. And so they have to have some kind of story that they deem important to tell. And for the most part, they haven't really let me down in that regard. Um, Thus far, the sequel trilogy is is an interesting little beast there because there's a lot of factors in play. I think each person, when they made their movies, 
had an intention and a reason for what they were doing, but not necessarily a coherent overall thing. But when you're looking at like a show like this, it's a different beast because you, you kind of have one person uh, or group of people who's going to be leading the whole thing all of, all the way through, okay. uh, which yeah. is, which is helpful, you know, especially if this turns out to be, you know, just like a limited series kind of thing where we get just one season or something like that. So I think if it had come out, you know, and they had announced like, oh, we're going to have a Bad Batch series after like everybody was super into Bad Batch and super excited about it, I would kind of be a little bit like, mm, okay, they're taking advantage of that. You know, not bad, but I'm also not as excited about it because it's just what people are saying that they want. And part of what I enjoy about Star Wars is getting stuff that we didn't know we wanted. Um, hmm. I mean, I got that with Clone Wars. I got that with Rebels. Like, I... I never was interested in Star Wars animation. And then when I sat down and actually finally like gave it a chance, I, it blew my mind. And, you know, here we are. So I think the fact that they have a story to tell and that Dave Filoni has established the animation department as a place where that takes prominence over just churning out episodes or just creating more content. You know, like Rebels could have gone another three or four seasons and I think people still would have been really into it true but he he sacrificed all that to tell the story that he wanted to tell and so you know just like george kind of established the what star wars storytelling is and the you know themes taking prominence over uh more or less everything else and pushing technology and different things like that i think dave kind of established what the animation department is is about and that is exciting to me going forward for things like Bad Batch that I'm kind of, I would be lukewarm on, you know, but now I'm kind of like, there's, there's gotta be something there that they're trying to convey. And one of the things, and this, this, this might be a reactionary thing, uh, is Palpatine and all of that stuff. You know, I, right when I saw Echo fall out of that chamber, I merely went like, Hey, I've seen that before. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the, I'm not sure if he was, was Palpatine in the trailer at all? Are you sure you want me to tell you stuff about the trailer? I want a yes or no answer. Was he in the trailer at all? I wasn't expecting him to be on a pod racer like that, but yes. Okay. Uh, well, I figured because he's on the poster. Yeah, he's like, on the poster. Yeah, so it seemed to make sense. So I think maybe there's going to be something there where they're kind of explaining maybe a little bit of that away. Um, that makes me a little more apprehensive because I kind of just don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Um, no, I, think but, that's more about, I think that's more about setting the setting, as a matter of fact. Like to get to clue you into where this falls in the general timeline of everything. Like I would be really surprised if he's a character that appears in the show more than just like, you know, posters and banners and hollow vids of all hail the new glorious emperor who has overcome the threat of the Jedi. I think he's gonna be more of just like a, a figure rather than a character. So I don't think you have much to fear about See, that. but that's my my hopes and fears anyway. Hopes and dreams rather. He was presented to the public still as Palpatine, right? And he was... He's still emperor. He, yes, but like, 
you have Palpatine and you have Sidious, right? And so, like, even when Wait, you go to return, the same. <gasps> I know Sidious I is know. a Palpatine uh, <laughs> shirt available Aww. on T Public. <laughs> the but like the you know even though technically you know when it came out he was Emperor Palpatine. Who we get in Return of the Jedi, that's Sidious. You know, who we get in the prequels, that's Palpatine, right? That's how I'm defining that. Palpatine is the mask of Sidious. And so to the public, he was still presented as Palpatine, you know? And even when when you go to Rebels, you see Palpatine. And then it, you know, when the things start to break down, then the signal goes and it changes to Sidious. Here, as far as I can tell from just knowing the poster, you, you put Sidious on there, which mm, I, that's, I think, I, I think I understand what you're trying to say, but I don't think that's a one-to-one. Like I, I, I think at a certain point, pa- the, the facade of Palpatine turns into what actually is Sidious, but he doesn't go through the legal steps of changing his name on his driver's license kind of thing. Well, but no, I'm saying, but how he's presented to the public is he's still presented as Palpatine. Well, that's truly who he is. Yes, but... That's his name. He's not hood up, you know, hidden uh, face kind of guy that you get on the poster. I don't know. No, I think... No, he's not. It's established in the canon that he's not. I think there are examples, like, even in Revenge of the Sith, when he addresses the entire Senate, he's, you know, head to toe in robes. Like, the attack on my life has left me scarred and deformed. So he's using that as a ploy. He's using, and so that visage is out there. He may not be as dark and sinister as the audience is, sh- is shown him, and certainly he grows comfortable with that. So he's not like flashing dark wizard powers at, you know, Senate hearings and, and whatnot for the public to see. I ag- agree with that, but I think that changes over the course of the 20 years between what you're setting up at, like, the beginning of the Empire in Revenge of the Sith and the end of Palpatine, well, like, the first end of Palpatine in Return of the Jedi. Like, I think that slides a whole lot more than you're allowing for, but I'm not really sure that matters. Yeah. Um... As far as it concerns, like the the Bad Batch characters, though, I think they're. I don't know. What are they gonna do? How are they gonna put those two things together? Like, <laughs> it's gonna be really interesting, and that's why I'm saying I think that they because it's the it's the least obvious thing to make a series about is a not Clone Wars but also clone centric series. So there has to be something important to say there. They're not traditional clones, like. They're, they're defined in their first appearance as, you know, defective, you know, with, with uh, what are the, what's the term? Desirable I mean? mutations. Desirable mutations, which is a hard, like, is that not like a horrible thing to describe these people with? Anyway, like, so it's not necessarily like if it was like Rex and Wolf and the other guy who the Rebels gang meet, where we know them and they're struggling with adapting their clone war mentality to life where they're not soldiers on the battlefield. These guys are already built differently. And so I don't think it's a fair comparison just to say what happens to clones in a non-clone world. Like we know what that story looks like and that's not what this show is going to be. No, no, no. I'm just saying this is a clone centric show that is, it's a continuation of clone wars, but not 
called the Clone Wars. Okay. That's so what I'm saying. If, if you're, you're attaching it to the show, yes. the Clone Wars, not necessarily to... Okay. My, yeah, yeah. I, I think I misunderstood what you're... Well, but I, I think that is an important point, though, because that is going to be part of what, you know they're dealing with is they, they are going to be on the run, but also they're not the characters that we, we know, we don't know what to expect from them. So with that in mind, I kind of wanted to dig into the little fortune cookies that appear at the beginning of each episode. Um, because they basically lay out the idea or theme of each episode. And so, you know, going back to to my idea of they have to have some kind of story that they wanted to tell and some kind of theme that they wanted to convey. Um, I'm thinking that, you know, some of this stuff might creep back into uh, the series that we're going to get. So the first one is uh, from episode one of season seven, which is entitled The Bad Batch. And uh, it's very clever. I know. Uh, very, they came out of the gate really strong there. Did, did you notice that they changed the logo for the clone, Star Wars Clone Wars? Now it's it says Clone Wars in the big big letters, but it does not have the phrase Star Wars in the middle separating the two words. It's now on top of the of the title Clone Wars. I did not. Do you see? You're not a real fan. I know. Thing. Fake fan. <laughs> but uh the first episode is uh the bad batch and it's embrace others for their differences as that makes you whole so how, how do you think that's going to come into play i feel like this is m- more of an obvious um one but how do you think that's going to come into play in the series oh, you, you think it's going to be obvious how this comes into play i mean it's a show about clones that are different yeah <laughs> It's kind of like it's it, it. These things are telegraphed pretty pretty loud and pretty clearly at the beginning of the episode, which is fine because again, if your target audience is the that nine to thirteen demographic, it's probably good to have this as a reinforcement, and it's a whole lot easier when you rewatch the episodes. Oh, that's what this one's about. Well, and but also you know Star Wars, its titles and and stuff are usually pretty. It's pretty obvious what they're referring to. Yeah, but pretty loud and proud. There, there's also you know deeper meaning to it. Like the Phantom Menace is you know Sidious slash Palpatine, but also it's the you know bureaucracy of the Jedi. It's the uh, lack of compassion and stuff like that. Like mm. it's all of these things, right? You okay, Revenge okay. of the Sith. No, no, it, no, no, no. Now do Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Oh, Attack of the Clones. That's what it, the one with the clones do, the attacking. <laughs> yes, exactly. But they're attacking in terms of starting a war, but also attacking at the core of what the Jedi are supposed to be. Oh, my Boom. Gosh. Okay, whatever. Sure. <laughs> right. But, like, you, you can always put a little bit of a twist on it. And so I think that this one's going to be interesting, this idea of, of embracing others for their differences as that makes you whole, like whatever's going on with this Omega character, uh, which I think is a really interesting name, Alpha Omega, uh, kind of evocative there. Um, these, these more or less like freaks, these other characters, these not normals, you know, outcasts, they're the ones that are going to bring this character to wherever this character needs to go. Um, and, I mean, at least in a physical sense, possibly in an emotional sense, um, possibly this character helps them, uh, you know, 
embrace their own differences and in in a different world. So now you take these clones that are they were outcasts to begin with, and now you put them in, in a completely new situation where the clones are not just outcasts, but they're they're being phased out, and you need to get rid of these guys. Um, that really comes to an identity crisis. It creates an identity crisis for like, okay, how much do we fight back? How mm. loud and proud are we? And you have different characters that do that differently, you know, across all storytelling. Some are going to be more upfront and like just, you know, puff their chest out and take what comes. And then some are going to be more timid. Some are going to be in between and stuff like that. So with each of these characters kind of being one that already is in an archetype, um, I think their differences are going to come out even more and it's going to, they're going to, they're going to test each other um, more than we expect. I think, I think when we see them in season seven, they're a well-oiled machine and that's because they understand the circumstance, right? Do you and, think that the show would take time to reflect on how they came together then? Like, do you think you'll have, like, flashbacks to, like, the first time that Hunter and Wrecker had to work together and they were like, oh, you are a terrible person? Um, I don't think so, just because I don't know how that would... I don't know that it would really help the show all that much um, because you, again, they're the archetypes. You kind of can know, you know, okay, they, they, they fit together. It makes sense. They're, they're, you know, abnormal uh, clones. So they go together in a team and we've seen the clones, you know, not meshing story already in clone wars. So I don't think it's that compelling. Um, whereas, you know, them having to redefine themselves to me is a lot more compelling. Um, which speaking of the episode two is a distant echo. And that one's is the search for truth begins with belief, uh, which I think is kind of interesting because their truth is going to be changing, um, pretty rapidly, you know, like <laughs> the, the regular clones, they've got the chip in their head. It's, it's just a, a, a switch that they flip. These guys appear to not have that chip or, you know, huh? So do we know that, do we know that to be true? I, I mean, no, that's why I said appears. Well, is there reason you think that appears that way? Or are you just kind of like presuming? I mean, they've said, they've said that, you know, these are, these guys are going to be on the run from the empire and they're being hunted down. So I would imagine, um, you know, that the last phase of clones and the, the, you know, upcoming stormtroopers are going to be going after them and whatever else Palpatine has going after them uh, hmm. that maybe do, do, do you think they're this is going to be on the run kind of situation for these guys or is it more just making their way and not upsetting the apple cart of the new order as it spreads across the galaxy I think it's going to be on the run partially because of whatever's going on with Omega and partially because we have seen the just go off and, and stay out of the way thing with Rex and Cody and Gregor already where they were, you know, they knew they couldn't do anything about it. And so they just went off, you know, and, and hid because they knew that the other choice was they were going to be, you know, killed or put in prison or whatever. Whereas these guys already have a different ideology and a different psychology 
behind them where they are they already don't fit in with the normalized structure and so but they have found their place within that so i think that they're going to be kind of trying to to find what their truth is now as the empire develops and you can only really do that within the the fire you know what i mean yeah i think so i think that the the trailer does kind of include certain characters um that that definitely make it feel like the empire is aware of this particular group's existence and that may be it's hard to say what they want them for whether it's to stop them or to i don't know draft them or something i'm not really sure I, obviously, we'll have to wait and see what comes up. But I was kind of curious to get your thoughts on that as someone who hasn't seen the trailer. Have you uh, kept up with the you? You haven't kept up with the uh, Star Wars ongoing series of I comics. Sorry, the Star Wars ongoing comic. Oh. No, not a bit. Okay, there's a group in there. Um, it, they're not clones, but they are very reminiscent of the Bad Batch and just like this. Uh, Is this the Stormtrooper gang. Yeah, the Stormtrooper gang. Yeah, I can't remember what what, what they're. Uh, actual designation yeah. is and i remember seeing that come up uh, like in a twitter mention at some point where somebody was like oh this, these guys could lead to jesus i forget what the name was but it sounded ridiculous i thought that was an older series that's part of the the ongoing i mean it was the uh, first the, the first run of the star wars ongoing not the one right now but the one between a new hope and empire uh the one that's right now is between empire and return of the jedi um Are but you yeah keeping the, up with those I haven't, but just because they haven't come out with the trade paperbacks yet. Oh, uh, uh, okay. I keep, yeah. So I'm I'm behind, usually behind on comics, but this uh, this group they they you know of they're very similar in terms of really just look and attitude and stuff. Um, there's not like as much specialization as the Bad Batch and stuff like that, but they're. I'm trying to remember where it's at, but somewhere, maybe Lords of the Sith, it talks about the clones were the ones that trained the stormtroopers the first, you know, first few rounds through. And so that was kind of how it got phased out. So yeah, it'll be well, interesting to yeah, see if like, they're, they're collecting the these gener- to create the yeah, special the troops. Yeah. Clone, the first generation of clones were also created with a shorter life expectancy. So that way, they 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 start they kind of trained like you said the first generation of of recruited stormtroopers of actual uh, citizens of the the empire, but then they started to die off really quickly after that. Is my understanding? Could be wrong, but yeah, I, I mean for the most part, I mean I think that's the the with, impression yeah with exceptions to, to the rule yeah, uh, which you know survival. Survival is one step to the path of the living. That's uh, that's episode three on the wings of Caradax. Hey, nice! Look at that. that yeah, I know. Smooth. I know. I know. It's, I've been doing I'm this for so a minute. Good at this. this one is. <laughs> <laughs> this one's really interesting to me because it's saying survival is one step on the path of living. Surviving is gonna be kind of important in this show, as far as I can tell. So, <laughs> I mean, I you, mean, you're going to have them be know. hunted. I mean, we you don't. Know. It could turn we into it, it could turn into them like, you know, taking Omega to, you know, the forest and just baking cookies all the time. We don't know. Yeah, but, but if you had to pick one of these five characters, which is the first one to die? Mm, 
you are now responsible for writing the rest of this of the first season and you have to kill one of these characters who is it going to be i think it would be hunter what really yeah interesting yeah because wreckers the comedy and he can get you out of tight binds so storytelling wise he's convenient crosshair same thing he's convenient uh you have to have tech like mm-hmm. you know and then echo is the one that we have uh already established relationship with and is going to help us to trust in the rest of the crew you know as we're developing that story uh so i mean hunter's electromagnetic signal reception or whatever is interesting and stuff like that but in terms of the no, it's not that's okay though i mean it's interesting that it exists like it's not <laughs> i'm not like ooh let's get a hunter book you know he's he's expendable um no i i think uh i think uh your, your man crosshair is going to be the first one to bite the dust he was he was my other other option he he definitely strikes me as um if we have to get if we have to sacrifice one of these guys it's going to be him he he doesn't have specific enough of a role to play um he's not as easily recognizable people aren't going to attach themselves to this character i mean wrecker like you said is safe because he's fun he's probably going to be cuddly let's be honest yeah um and his action figure is going to be more expensive because it's bigger so they're probably not going to get rid of that character i think crosshair is going to bite the dust i want to circle back to that idea later because i have it'll be oh it'll be like that scene in saving private ryan where it's the sniper versus sniper and he's going to be sniping like a stormtrooper dude out there that he trained or something, and then the blaster bolt's gonna go right up his scope, right in through the back of his head. A little bit grim, but let's be honest, these Clone Wars episodes have gotten a little grim uh, in season seven. I, I I could see that, or I could see him sacrificing himself, you know? Nah, he's not that kind of guy. But characters develop in stories. That's what happens. They change. Uh, Unless okay. you're... Unless Only you're... when they start off as annoying little kids, then they have the opportunity for growth. But see, that, here's here's where we can bring in the flashbacks. We can have annoying little kid crosshair. <laughs> what he's sitting in the playground and just like slingshotting his teacher from across the playground and the yeah the back of the head, like bouncing it off of four different trees. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the kind of compelling thing we all want to see happen. It's good content right there. It's like a uh, baby Muppets, but with clones. Listen. <laughs> Listen, you leave my Muppet babies alone, they're a precious part of my childhood. I'm I, sure they were terrible now, but you, you, you tread lightly, Counselor. I have no problem with them. I watched that show quite regularly. Did you really? Yeah, it was a good show. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I'll give you, I'll, I will Venmo you a dollar if you can sing me the Muppet Babies theme song right now. I cannot, but I am going to insert it into the show right (laughs) here. I've got my computer. I can do 
Is everything all right in here? Yes, Nanny. That was amazing. <laughs> okay, so let's get let's get back to the the, the fortune cookie. The, the survival is one step on the path to living, because okay. I think this is going to be the crux of what the series is going to be about. Yeah, that makes the most sense, right? Like, because they're gonna have to establish how they're going to live, because they're not going to be able to. I don't know. It just to me. Having rogue Jedi out there is one thing, but because like they can, they have another level of ability to be able to survive, but having rogue clones out there, even though these are altered clones just seems kind of like, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And you have to bring it to some sort of resolution. Wasn't there in the Clone Wars proper show, like the first five seasons, wasn't there an episode about one of the clones who abandoned the army and like started a family on a planet, though? Yeah, I think that's um, season two, if I'm remembering correctly. Do Uh, you remember any resolution to that? Because didn't they leave him there? So basically, they found him because Rex got injured in a firefight. And uh, I, I think... The, the wife helps heal him and him and um, the the other clone. I'm trying to remember what his name is. I, I know it's not Gregor. I, I keep wanting to say Gregor. Um, keep, they, they are at odds because their philosophy is really, really different from each other. But in the end, uh, when Rex is going away, he's like, you know, that concussion, man, I'm probably not going to remember a lot of what happened here kind of thing. Oh, uh, really? They went the fever dream route? More or less. Um, so it was more of like a, I'm just not going to mention this kind of thing. Oh, 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 okay. I got yeah. Like yeah. Like it was, it was like a wink, wink kind of thing. Gee, uh, I hope I don't forget this whole thing that just happened. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was a show of respect for Rex, you know, identifying a different philosophy and, and, you know, saying, you know, we see things differently and we're not going to agree on it and that's okay. Uh, you're you're doing what you think is best for yourself, and I'm going to do what I think is best for myself. And so, um, I'll be interested to see if these characters all end up having the same philosophy on what the best option for them is. True. Okay. Right, because like, while they're all different character, or while they're all like, you know characters with desirable mutations and and stuff like that. And they're kind of (laughs) put together in a box in the Bad Batch arc in season seven. When you have time to let them breathe, you, I mean, you have more time to let them have conflict and let them have struggle and and stuff like that. I mean, you're not wrong about that. Let's, let's be clear. I'm not the one who taught, who, who brought up allowing situations to breathe this time. So no, no gun gets to take a shot off of that one. (laughs) These series do not have a good strong track record for leaving space to breathe. Now you can take a shot. Um, it's just, do we know if these are going to be the same kind of like 25 minute length 
that the other ones i know you said the 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 premiere episode is 70 minutes which sounds interminable um but i don't know man i i have a, I, i'm having a, i know in my brain that dave filoni has learned so much over the past you know 10 13 years whatever it is that he's been running these shows and he has come such a long way as as a as a creator and a writer and a director he's done a great job and he has improved so many things and he's gotten so much better at it but for some reason i still have not a lot of confidence that those lessons from early years may not always be learned and applied that's my hang up i think that i'm getting stuck on with a lot of these things like that's why my excitement level for this is not nearly as high as yours is because I, which is hard because i loved the mandalorian like that show gets better every episode like each one gets better and better and i ended up loving rebels that gets better over time so why do i feel like the beginning of the bad batch is just going to be like taking all those lessons erasing it and starting with a blank uh, whiteboard again see I, I think we're going to get a situation where it seems like that at first as they're setting up the characters in the situation where it's like okay we've seen this before like they're kind of thing and then there's going to be something at the end of the first episode that's going to shock us and jar I our mean, I don't I don't know that's Again, I think that's an unbelievable. That's not unbelievable. It's it's a it's a, a higher level of credibility and confidence that you have that I do not. Because that's fair. It, it, the, the track record for that is not strong to me. Um, Rebel season one is good. It gets better as it goes, but it takes all 13, 16, 13. It takes all those episodes in order to do it, and and season two get, has a good place to launch off of because of the hard work that was put on in season one, will we be able to get it starting off strong enough? Like that's my concern here is because if it takes 16 episodes to get to where this thing is actually going to be good, I'm going to drop off after two. Like these things have got like an hour and a half worth of time of of storytelling before they've really got to be firing on the appropriate level of sidebar. This is my problem. My personal problem with Falcon and winter soldiers that the first three episodes have done or did nothing to really get my attention. And it takes the last two minutes of the fourth episode. And they're an hour long in order for me to be like, Oh, okay. Now I'm excited to see the next one. That's funny. Cause I was just going to bring up that, (laughs) uh, the end of episode four of, of, of that series. Um, but even that was something was telegraphed a hundred years before it even came. Like it's something, I don't know. Marvel's a different beast personally, and there are issues there, but for, can people please just learn these lessons? And maybe it's me that I'm not, I'm not seeing and appreciating enough of what goes on behind the scenes in order to apply the things and how hard it is and stories to tell. I get that. I'm fine with that. But the evidence is what we see on screen. And if the first episode, like you said, if the first episode is base setting, I think that's a waste of 70 minutes. You've got four episodes that have already done that. And I don't know. I, sometimes I struggle with coming into movies and shows that require you to do the homework beforehand to play catch up. But f- come on. Like, well, it's I think not hard. For I think it's going to be kind of like a first few episodes of Mandalorian where it feels like, okay, okay where, yeah, where are we going? 
Because, well, I mean, if you look at, you know, the episode one of Mandalorian, it's got a lot of really good stuff in there. But the stinger at the end with Baby Yoda is it leaves you really wanting more, right? So it does a really good job. It sets up sets up the world and the situation and stuff like that and then leaves you with something. I think that that's what episode one here is going to be. Not so much establishing who the characters are because we already have the four series arc, but the world, uh, or the, excuse me, the time, the other characters that are going to be uh, coming into play, the villains, all of that, like, other stuff that's going to be happening around these five characters, um, maybe kind of how Echo has evolved and started to fit in with them or whatever kind of thing like that. And then we'll get some kind of stinger there at the end. But then when you go to like episodes two and three of Mandalorian, while they are great, you know, they do feel kind of stuck in place for a second. And then, it, you know, it, it takes time to build that up. But if you had jumped from episode one and then had episode you know five six and seven after that you you needed that that extra time to Mm. allow yourself to build relationships with these characters and to uh feel like you're a part of it and that's one thing you know falcon and winter soldier you know it it's trying to do that. I don't know how effectively it's doing that with uh, Sam and Bucky, in the, at least in the first three episodes, uh, because they kind of go really quickly back and forth between, you know, the uh, bad partners to good partners to... And there's there's a lot of jumping around there. Um, whereas Mandalorian, it's a p- pretty clear where everybody fits in. So I think as long as they have a clear idea and a clear presentation of this is the relationship that these characters are going to have to one another and to the galaxy around them. We're going to have a good story to be able to tell. And we're not going to have to spend as much time. Like here's what Wrecker's about and what he believes in and stuff like that, because we already have that. So we already know that. yeah, but we don't know a lot about their relationships with each other. We don't know a lot about their relationships with um, anybody other than that. Like we know they, they have a less than, um, kind perspective of uh, of regs, you know, but the bigger scale and the galaxy. And there's a there's a moment where uh, Rex asks them who they report to, and they're like, yeah. "That's a good question," <laughs> which you know I think is supposed to make us go like, "Uh, what?" But oh, at the same time, inside the rules, they're bad boys. Exactly. But With then leather jackets. When you when you live outside like that then you know you you don't have a lot of relationships with anybody outside of that circle and so yeah. you know when you bring people from outside that circle into that circle and it disrupts it it really challenges that relationship and like to go to the falcon and winter soldier you know uh analogy and minor spoiler but bringing in zemo and making him a part of the team really challenges Sam and, and Bucky's relationship. And that's where it stops jumping back and forth between, you know, good relationship, you know, good, good cop, bad cop, more or less into something that when we get to the end of episode four and you see them standing together, you're like, okay, that's a team right there. 
Nicely done. I, I like how you put a bow on that one. That I try. I try. No, you, you did. You succeeded. So I kind of have one more big question and then a little uh, game to close out. Well, you have the game this oh, week? I do have a little bit of a game. Oh, no. It's a Bad Batch-themed game. Oh, no. All right, but before we get to that... Uh, oh, okay, sorry. The Bad Batch is technically Clone Force 99, which is uh, named after 99, who is a clone who sacrificed himself um, in the attack on Kamino. So, my question to you... Will Clone Force 99 live up to their namesake, 99, and sacrifice themselves for the greater good by the end of this series? Oh, boy. Um, there will probably be moments of that because as much as these episodes try and paint them as the uncaring, unsympathetic uh, force who just comes in to have fun and they don't really care about the mission it's kind of all just a veneer that falls away pretty quickly because they get invested in the mission themselves. Like it feels like that outsider, you know, devil may care attitude kind of drops off. And, and, and suddenly they're like, Oh, well, we got to save echo. Cause he's, you know, he's not one of us, but he's one of us. So I'm, I'm sure they will. Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen that episode about 99. Um, I'm trying to remember the plot of that. Isn't there like an attack on Camino? Yeah. Uh, it's the one. He's like the only one who, for some reason, stands up instead of fleeing. I, I don't quite remember. It. He kind of mentors a, a squad that is having, I think it's Domino Squad, um, that's having nice. some problems getting, uh, getting together and, and working as a team. And he kind of mentors them and. Uh, then there's the attack, and that's when, you know, he basically steps in and, you know, buy, he more or less buys them time, um, which allows them to set up and be be ready for the attack and, and fend it off and stuff like that. So Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure there will be a, a moment where the team decides to stand up for what is right rather than what is easy. I'm sure that'll be the culmination of episode three. I'm gonna put some put a stake on it right there. Episode three will be the big the hero moment, you know, where they stand up from the chairs and the camera spins around them a little bit, and they're like, "No, this far and no further," something like that. I I could definitely see Wrecker saying that. <laughs> yeah, he definitely strikes me as the Captain Picard kind of guy. Yeah, for sure. Okay, have you seen Star Trek: First Contact? That silence tells me all I need to know. So, for my game, <laughs> Mark is going to kill you. Probably, but I don't like Star Trek, so. Um, it's alright. What's your game this week? We are going to... <laughs> no, no, no. This is a very easy game. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to match some things. Okay. Okay. We are going to match... Each member of Clashing Sabers with their Bad Batch doppelganger. Oh, come on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I will say, I have worked very hard to not think about this at all so that we can both do this just organically on the episode. Oh, no. So I don't have answers already. Oh, uh, baloney, you don't. I legitimately don't. 
<laughs> Your feelings are about to get hurt up in here. <laughs> Who among us wants to be Wrecker? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that's definitely Zach. That one was easy. Oh, wow. He's a meathead. <laughs> no, not in like an idiot kind of way. He's a meathead like he lifts weights and all of that stuff. He's into I'm that like... Sure. I'm pretty sure those things are supposed to go hand in hand when you use such a derogatory term as a meathead. No, there's the derogatory use of it, and then there's just like the, I'm a meathead, I lift weights turn side of I, it. When was the last time you heard someone refer to another human being as a meathead in an affectionate manner? Right now on the Clashing <laughs> Sabres podcast. So groundbreaking moment here again. That's fantastic. That's okay. what we do. We break ground here. Is that what we do? Okay. Um, so Zach is Wrecker. Um, <laughs> let's see. Go ahead. I, I, who am I? I'm going to say... Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. If we're going to talk about the people who are not here, at least start with the few who are. <laughs> oh, I thought the whole point was just to talk about the people who aren't here. Well, I, I accepted the invitation invitation to come on tonight, but and I had a different game we were going to play. <laughs> I will bank that for another evening. I will say you are... You're Hunter. Oh, okay. Stunningly yeah. good-looking with rugged manly looks. I like it. I appreciate that. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and my, my physical prowess being known far and wide the land over. That's exactly what I was thinking. All right. <laughs> and then Lindsay's crosshair, Adriana's what? tech. What? A- Adriana is... How many times do we have to tell her to turn the fan off in her room so we can record without it buzzing in the background? Okay. Yes. But she has also taught herself how to do a lot of this tech stuff all on her own. All right. Fair so... She, now, crosshair, she, hang on. Here's my issue with you pegging Lindsay as crosshair. Crosshair's defining feature when he's first introduced is that he's not a conversationalist. And if we know anything about Lindsay, she has no problem being a decent part of the conversation. In all positive aspects of that. All good things. All good things. I just think, like, crosshair is always very on target and has a very clear point that he's going for. And Lindsay usually always has a clear point where she's, she's going for it. Interesting. You know, what's interesting is also that tech has a good habit of setting up crosshair for those things, calling out coordinates and whatnot. So the two of them make a, a decent tag team. That's true. Uh, all right. And then you've only got a couple of us left. Let's see. I am not putting my. <laughs> you are owning the uh, the name tags on this one here, dude. This see, the problem is we've got more people than we do bad That's batchers. True. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to either adopt some characters in or fire some members of Clashing Sabers. No, I was just gonna double up. Um, oh, you're gonna take the easy route. That's yeah. your choice. Uh, I think Mark would also be a tech. Um, and then okay. again, he hates the stuff. <laughs> I mean, yes, but. He's good, but what he's really, what he's good at, he's really good at. There you go. Fair enough. You know, that, like that is accurate. <laughs> it takes him a long time to figure out Google Drive, but he he gets there. Oh, I mean, and then let's see, uh, Sam, Sam, Echo. I think he's Echo 
because he's really adaptable to like whoever else is like he's good think, at adapting to the the people that are around him on the episodes you know what i mean i think zach might be a, a bit echo too because i don't trust him <laughs> that was not what i was expecting Oh. Mr. I'm not even interested in reading Victory's Price. Yeah, I'm, I, I listened to that episode of Sith Talk where you're like, I'm not even going to read it because the second one was garbage. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Sir, I take umbrage with that. And not the Dolores kind, but the kind where you're wrong about things. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for specifying. I was a little bit confused. <sighs> you're also in the middle of reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix out loud for the boys for bedtime. Oh, that's great. It, it is, but... Man, if I'm concerned about any book reading to them, it's this one. It's also 700 freaking pages long. 749, if I remember correctly. Are you serious? You know the page. I am impressed if that's accurate. You're going to have to check after this episode. Uh, uh, I, oh, shoot, they're already asleep. But I'll let you know. That's impressive. Uh, okay, have we got everybody? Did, so who are you? Oh, um, I'm, I'm Omega because I'm short and... I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for you to watch the trailer. (laughs) That'll be interesting. No, um, let's see. If I'm going to put you into one of these categories, um, you probably have to be Hunter. Really? Okay. I mean, you don't... uh, I would have pegged myself as a wrecker, but okay. Well, yeah. Okay, you're 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 probably the the, the cuddliest of of uh, of individuals out of all of us. You're definitely the more sunshine and puppies kind of guy. I think the rest of us have uh, varying degrees of deep deep cynicism in our <laughs> lives. I think, and I'm over here like porgs. Yeah, yeah, you're very much like jumping through the meadows and and shooting rainbows out of your hands on command, which is weird. But that's kind of the, the vibe, and and I think that's the, what they're going to make Wrecker into. He's going to be the happy-go-lucky guy, great, yeah, got, you know, smashing things left and right. I think you would probably enjoy smashing things, though. I mean, ask Brooke if something's not working for me. I just hit it harder and hope. <laughs> so parts, American parts, all made in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I guess there's this huge bolt left over. Whatever. We don't need it. Clearly, we don't need it. It works. It was an extra. It's it's the only one in there. It's obviously just an extra one. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see after. Oh I'm, I'm unclear on if this is a ongoing series or just going to be a one season thing. Um, mm, interesting. I don't. For now, it's all kind of just one, one and done for all these things. I, I the don't. I don't think that they've announced that for the Bad Batch in particular. I know uh, Kenobi. They have mm-hmm. uh, Ahsoka. They have Rangers of the New Republic, and Ahsoka and Mando are all going to kind of like come to a head at a point. Right. Um, so we'll Visions, see. I think it's supposed to be a one and done too. Uh, Visions is more of an ongoing um, because it's it's actual like movies. It's it's well short films, and I know that there's a a, a I think there's a novel inspired by one. Yeah, of them that's supposed to be coming out too. The, we haven't gotten nearly enough information about Visions yet. That is the one I am most looking forward to. 
because of uh, you know 18 different things about it um, and the fact that we haven't gotten any information it's supposed to come this year it's a 2021 release yeah and we know nothing and that's just criminal in my mind <laughs> but that one is not gonna that one is gonna be more so like separate things under one banner yeah. uh, it's not gonna be like an ongoing thing no but that, that's exactly my point is like there's there's 10 of these I think 10 entries that they're supposed to release and that's probably gonna be it and that's fine I just want to know who's involved, like from a creative standpoint, and I want to know when it freaking starts. Like, can you imagine getting a Studio Ghibli, like Miyamoto kind of thing? Not Miyamoto, uh, Miyazaki, like infused Star Wars story. Like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how fantastic that's going to be. Yeah, oh. it's, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it, and it's definitely one that we're going to talk about because. Uh, Ahsoka is definitely my most anticipated show for obvious reasons. Yep. Um, but in most intrigued, Lando. your number two is Lando, right? Obviously, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I need a reason to be able to wear my cape, so you know, like while I'm watching it, I can wear my cape. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Visions is definitely in my like most intrigued shows. Uh, that and Acolyte, uh, which we also don't have a lot of information about. So, yeah, also true. I think that also plays part of the anticipation factor is not knowing things. That's uh, a good point. So it's exciting. It is. It is. And we will be covering it all here on the Clashing Sabres Network across our many, many shows. Um, and I'm sure we're going to come back to Bad Batch uh, again. And um, I know for sure I'm going to definitely write some articles on it. I'm sure some other people will have some content coming out on it. Um, you can find all of that stuff available, all the links that you need at clashingsabers.net. Um, we drop everything on our Twitter feed and Instagram, uh, which is at Clashing Sabers, and in our uh, Facebook group, which is Star Wars Clashing Sabers. So plenty of places to find us. We're on this feed that you're listening to right now on Spotify or iTunes or however you listen. So just make sure that you are subscribed so you can get all of our episodes, including uh, Forever Star Wars is going to have one coming out soon. Uh, Starships will have one coming out soon. We just released a Sith Talk. Uh, eventually, I'm going to finish Victory's Price, and we're going to get that episode of Don't Burn the Sacred Text out. Come on, um, it's important. I am. I'm going to read the next Thrawn book, and we're going to say it's words not about as that. Important. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's all going to be available here to you, and of course, Patreon.com/slash/ClashingSavers to support our literacy initiative. Uh, Drew, tell them what you are working on. Oh boy. Um, I wish I had some new stuff to report in on. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next couple High Republic things that have come out. My nine-year-old read A Test of Courage, and I've been asked to read it and then buy, quote, buy the next one that comes out, as if I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the next hard, like hardcore novel, I think, is in June, I want to say. For High Republic, yeah. For High Republic, yeah. That is going to be really good. There's something out coming, something coming in May. This is how on top of things I've been able to be. Um, there's something coming in May that was supposed to be interesting. Uh, well, whatever it is, hopefully we'll be able to talk about it. You can find me on the Twitter at the Drew Rett. I'm usually in the Facebook group, kind of um, not causing trouble, but you know, having a good old good old time there. But come on over. Um, share your stuff. We'd love to get to know what you're working on, too. And it's a great place to share and find other uh, people who are interested in the same stuff you're interested in. 
Absolutely. And May the 4th, we will be with you and be with the Bad Batch. So until then, Bad Batch 8? 99. Nope, can't say that out loud. <laughs> the podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.